Hi there, my name is Natalie Nation, and you're listening to Feed That Nation. I'm a future registered dietitian, I'm a health educator, a content creator, and a self-proclaimed mac and cheese expert. I create content here on Feed That Nation all about college life, college health, and college wellness with the goal of helping you, my fellow college students, to be more successful, more confident, and more healthy in your student journey. I upload podcast episodes every Wednesday, and I upload vlogs every Saturday. Don't forget to subscribe to me on YouTube if that's where you like to watch. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen on if that's where you are. And definitely go ahead and follow me on Instagram. I am at FeedThatNation and go check out my blog, FeedThatNation.com. I also definitely encourage you to check out my affiliate partner, Coconut Whisk. Coconut Whisk is an allergy-friendly, gluten-free, vegan baking mix company based right here in Minnesota. And I just, I can't say enough good things about Coconut Whisk and the products they have, the people behind the company. They're so much fun. Their products are so tasty. Definitely go and check them out. If you order something from CoconutWhisk.com, be sure to use my coupon code, FeedThatNation. You'll receive 15% off your order and I'll receive a small commission. Everybody wins in this scenario, so go check out coconut whisk. So if you haven't already figured out from the title of this episode, today I'm going to be diving into my disordered eating story. And I'll be honest, I've been procrastinating all morning to just keep postponing and postponing filming this because it's a tough topic to talk about. Even though I've done a lot of work on myself over the last six, seven, eight years, And I've been in therapy and really, truly been trying to become the best version of myself that I can be. But this topic is still really heavy and hard to talk about. And I actually haven't told this story to very many people. Maybe half a dozen in total know the whole story. And so I don't have a lot of practice telling it. And so I don't know how this episode is going to go, but I feel like in the spirit of and in honor of National Eating Disorders Week. I really wanted to do this episode. I really wanted to tell my story of dealing with disordered eating and working through a lot of different things in terms of what disordered eating came to mean for me and what and how it impacted me and how, honestly, it still continues to impact me. But first, before I dive into this topic, obviously, if this topic, if talking about disordered eating, eating disorders, weight, is specifically weight numbers, if obsessive eating habits, if anything in that realm will be triggering or uncomfortable for you, I encourage you not to watch or listen to this episode at this time. I want to respect your boundaries, but I also want you to respect your boundaries. If you cannot safely listen to this episode, I don't want you to listen to it. If there are any other really significant trigger warnings that I feel you should know, I will put them in the show notes below. I also do want to say that, you know, my internal disordered eating narrative aside, I have always been in a petite, white, relatively healthy body. And so that obviously puts a lens onto my experience and that is where I'm coming from. I don't pretend to speak for anyone but myself in this story. And I fully acknowledge that people in bigger bodies, people in black bodies, people in disabled bodies, And people in bodies that aren't as privileged as mine experience disordered eating and eating disorders in 
far different ways than I may. So I also wanted to throw that in there. None of what I say in this episode should be considered medical advice. I am not a medical professional, and even if I was, I would not be speaking with that hat on here. This is simply my story, and what I talk about is told for storytelling and educational purposes. I highly encourage you to seek out professional help if you need it from professionals, medically trained, licensed clinical professionals. Okay, done procrastinating now. Had to get all of those, I guess, disclaimers aside, but also it was a good way to just kind of keep avoiding this topic because it's tough. I honestly don't know where my relationship with my body and food started, but I think my earliest memory of being aware of my body started when I was pretty small. I'm a twin. As some of you guys know, I have a twin brother who's about 52 minutes older than I am. And we were born a little early, so we were always pretty small as babies. But as we started to grow, we developed and grew into healthy children. And something that occurred very early on is I grew a bit faster than my brother. And for a time when we were young, I weighed more than he did. And I remember hearing someone comment on that. It could have been a friend or a family member. It wasn't directed at me. It was probably something they were talking to one of my parents about, and they just commented that, you know, Natalie was bigger than Dean. And I don't know where or why, but at the time, I really started to internalize that as, honestly, I couldn't have been any older than maybe six or seven. And I started to wonder, well, I'm bigger than Dean. Is that bad? And obviously, we were both healthy, growing children, there was nothing bad about the fact that at that time I was heavier than he was. But, you know, my my child internalized that, you know, my tiny self just sort of assumed that, you know, me being bigger than my brother was wrong. I think something that also impacted my relationship with my body was the fact that between all the members of my family, we all have very different body types. And as you guys can see, if you're watching me or if you've ever seen a photo of me, my body type is more, I would say, petite. I don't have a ton of curves. You know, my breasts are pretty small. And I grew up being pretty slim, relatively speaking. Compared to some of my siblings that grew up more curvier, more broad-shouldered, and ended up just being heavier. And there is nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with any of my siblings. There's nothing wrong with, you know, having the body that you have. But I also grew up hearing a lot of comments saying things along the lines of, oh, Natalie, you're so skinny. Or how do you stay so skinny? Or you're so small or you're so tiny. And hearing these comments presented in a positive way also was something I definitely internalized, hearing that, well, I'm being praised for being small, I'm receiving positive attention for being thin and being slim. That must be a good thing, and I should try to stay this way. And I think over the years, as I grew into, you know, my middle school body and my high school body, I started to internalize hearing, oh, you're so slim, oh, you're so slim, and turning that around into hearing, you have to be slim, you have to be slim. And all of that was difficult, not that I had the self-awareness or the vocabulary to really put to words how that felt at the time, but it didn't feel good. 
A few other, I guess, confounding factors with my body that I've always struggled with is obviously you guys can see I have brown hair. I have naturally dark brown hair and something I also know about myself now that I'm an adult that I didn't as a teenager is that I also have polycystic ovary syndrome in which my hormones in my body that are supposed to be regular and normal in terms of my period, in terms of those hormones, are not normal. And how that's really played out for me is I've always been more prone to acne. I've always had incredibly acne-prone skin. You know, I've always had a lot of body hair and a lot of dark body hair. And that hasn't been fun. Obviously, the symptoms relating to having really irregular periods and the, the story I told a long time ago in my chronic illness episode with my guests, you know, where I almost died in a McDonald's, that was obviously not fun. But as a young middle schooler and high schooler, before I really came to be aware of what PCOS was and what that meant for me, you know, the only things I was experiencing were the really terrible acne and a lot of body hair. And obviously needing glasses and braces didn't help a ton. Obviously going through puberty didn't help a ton. Like there are a lot of confounding factors that lead every middle schooler and every high schooler at some point to probably not feel great about themselves. And I was definitely not an exception to that. I've also never really been a super athletic person in the traditional sense. I don't really enjoy running around and getting sweaty and getting gross and... I've never been coordinated enough to really enjoy team sports, and I always felt very judged if I wasn't good at team sports, and it just, athletics was always something negative for me as a child, and so when I started to learn more about health and my body and in middle school and high school, and I realized I'm not very athletic, that's got to be bad because, you know, I'm supposed to be athletic, I'm supposed to run around, I'm supposed to get sweaty, I'm supposed to be strong, I'm, you know, I shoulded myself over and over and over and over again with these things, and so I would go, kind of go through bouts of, like, deciding that I was gonna run every day, and I would go running around my neighborhood, and I hated it, and I, you know, probably didn't have the right shoes, I didn't have any sort of training on how to run in terms of form and breath, and our neighborhood growing up happened to be really hilly, so that didn't help, but it just ended up with sort of developing even more negative relationships with exercise because I would try something and I would really dislike it and then I would stop doing it and then I would shame myself for not being physically active. And, you know, that's a really, really difficult spiral for a 12, 13, 14-year-old to be in. And I really wish that, you know, my younger self had had the, I guess, self-awareness and the vocabulary to be able to put to words, this doesn't feel good. This isn't right. I don't think this is how this is supposed to be. Because I was just really miserable a lot of the time. And, you know, knowing now that I was likely depressed and very anxious at times back then is something else I think I wish I would have known as a, you know, a young teenager because I think... I just thought everyone's this miserable, right? I'll honestly say in early high school, you know, towards sophomore, junior year, I didn't really think a ton about my body outside of the fact that it just kind of was the way it was. You know, I was the height I was. I was approximately the size I was. I was still growing in high school. I don't think I hit my adult height of five, six and a quarter until I was probably about 17 or so. And so I didn't really pay attention to my body a whole lot from a, an aesthetic sense, aside from, you know, I liked dressing up. I liked trying out makeup. I liked doing fun things with my hair. 
But I think all of that sort of internalized shame regarding physical activity, regarding my body and its size, regarding all of that was still present. And all of that came to a head in my senior year of high school. Now, a lot of you guys know my husband, Paul, and I think I've said before at least once or twice on here that he and I have been together since my junior year of high school and his senior year of high school. We were 17 when we started dating, and we have been together for seven and a half-ish years now. We've been married for a little over two years. And that, my junior year of high school, was probably one of the best years of my childhood. I had a group of friends that I really liked. I had a boyfriend that I adored. I was a drum major in the marching band, which is a really big deal for me. I got to do a lot of really exciting things and I was really growing into myself and finding myself. And I was friends with people who were very studious. And so my ADHD self finally found a way to get into studying because I was always surrounded by people who were studying. And so junior year ended really on a high note and senior year, everything kind of fell apart. Paul left for college. He went to the University of Minnesota and we both grew up in Rochester. And so he was, you know, about an hour and a half drive away from me and a busy college student. And, you know, when you don't have a car, an hour and a half away might as well be an entire country away. And so we went from seeing each other, you know, multiple times a week to maybe once a month or less. And I missed him a lot and I just didn't really know what to do with myself about that. And I know I was depressed because of that. It was also my senior year of high school. I was taking a full high school course load, a lot of really academically intense high school courses. I was still the drum major of the marching band, so I was very busy with all of that, especially in the fall. I sang in a regional choir, I volunteered with a group of friends, I got a part-time job somewhere in there, and so I was just very busy. But what also started to happen was I was really, really, really miserable. And I was miserable because I was stressed about getting good grades for college, and I was stressed about missing Paul, and I was stressed about keeping track of everything, and I probably wasn't sleeping very well at the time because I had just so much to do, on top of the fact that I have ADHD, and being a student with ADHD is always going to be more challenging than being a neurotypical person who's in school. And so, because I was depressed and anxious and miserable, I started to try to think about what would make it better? You know, what would help me to feel better? And I was interested in nutrition. I decided that I wanted to study nutrition in college. I had grown up cooking and loving cooking and food, but somehow the conglomeration of in being interested in nutrition with the depression and the anxiety with a lot of the internalized things that I had heard growing up about being thin and how you're supposed to be physically active and all of that started me down a pretty rough path. And I started to think about ways that I could manipulate food and my food intake and ultimately try to manipulate my body in a way to make myself feel better. What that ultimately kind of led to was the belief that if I was only thin enough, all my problems would go away, I would feel better. 
And honestly, I believe that this sort of thinking that being thin equals being happy is something that's a lot more prevalent than anyone really wants to admit. And I won't go into the details of exactly the obsessive behaviors that I was doing at the time because I don't think anybody needs a prescription for how to <laughs> do that. I think that is incredibly dangerous and triggering, but I will say that it involved the MyFitnessPal app and a lot of obsessive tracking and measuring and not eating enough for someone in my body and my activity level. And ultimately what that led to over the course of a couple of months um, towards the fall, winter, spring of my senior year was losing a significant amount of weight. Not so significant that, you know, my clothing started to not fit or people around me started to notice, but certainly a significant enough amount that I noticed and because at the time I was also weighing myself pretty obsessively, you know, every half pound, every pound started to feel like a victory. But I didn't feel better. I knew what anorexia was. I knew that what I was doing was harmful to my body. But I also knew that in a kind of twisted way, people do it to feel better. And so because, you know, I was doing what I was, quote, supposed to do, you know, to be a anorexic or whatever, but I didn't feel better, I internalized that as I'm doing something wrong. Obviously, I've failed at being an anorexic because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and I still don't feel good. And obviously, this is a very sick and sad, I guess, way of thinking about that. And I have so much empathy for my younger self, my 18-year-old self, because she was just truly miserable and alone, and she didn't feel good. And, you know, I wish back then that someone had noticed. And I'm sure people did, you know. I was outwardly miserable. I was very isolated. I isolated myself. Also, the group of high school friends I had junior year didn't turn out to be great people senior year, most of them anyway, so I ended up just spending a lot of time by myself because I had spent so long with the same group of people that I didn't really have a whole lot of other friends to spend time with. And so, again, spent, spending a lot of time by myself, a lot of time in this, you know, depressed, anxious, miserable state wasn't a great combination of things for me at the time. I think ultimately what led me to, I guess, stop was the fact that I felt like I'd failed. And if I was failing at starving myself, for lack of a better word, then why should I be doing it? What's the point? And so, you know, I stopped obsessively tracking what I was eating and I started to eat when I was hungry, although to this day, even, I'm still not great at reading my own hunger and fullness cues, probably because of, you know, psychological and even physical damage that I could have done to my body back then. But I guess one other thing that, you know, in the spirit of honesty, in the spirit of telling this story, I had a really low day. I don't even remember when. It was my senior year of high school. Eight past fullness which didn't feel good because, you know, who likes to feel uncomfortably full? It's not a great feeling. It wasn't a binge in the traditional sense, but 
it was probably comfort eating and emotional eating past the point of fullness to try and help myself feel better. But in that really dark moment where I felt the uncomfortable fullness and I was miserable and sad and still had this twisted idea that if only I was thin, I would be happy, I thought, well, if I can't starve myself, some people make themselves throw up to feel better. And so I went into the bathroom and I locked the door and turned the fan on and I tried to make myself throw up and I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. And I'm very, very grateful that I was, for whatever reason, unable to make myself do it that day because I think that would have led me down a really dangerous, slippery slope in a different direction. But I felt like, again, such a failure because I had failed to make myself throw up, failed to engage in a bulimic or a purging behavior, and I still didn't feel good. And so that must be my fault. I must be a total failure because I tried all these things and they didn't work and I'm still miserable. I must be a failure. It's all my fault. And honestly, I don't know what snapped me out of all of that other than when I graduated high school, I felt such relief. I was no longer surrounded by people that were not nice to me on a daily basis. Paul was home for the summer. I got to see him. My schedule was more relaxed. I was done with school, so that stressor had gone away. I had gotten into the college that I wanted to go to, and I had a lot to look forward to. So, yeah, I felt better. And I think that's where the big chunk of my disordered eating story sort of ends. But it's not over. And I'll say, I think I will always be working through different aspects of disordered eating for, you know, maybe the rest of my life. But I'm really grateful for, you know, access to therapy and access to resources and just having the self-awareness to be able to recognize when I'm struggling with something and to ask myself why and to work through the real problem instead of trying to deal with it through a destructive behavior. I also want to acknowledge that I learned about anorexia and bulimia and eating disorders, probably in middle school and high school in some health unit somewhere, but no one ever really talked to us or to me about disordered eating. And the way I would differentiate is that an eating disorder is a DSM-5 or the Diagnostic Manual of Psychology, whatever that acronym stands for. There are specific criteria that a person must meet in order to be diagnosed with anorexia or bulimia. And I believe binge eating disorder has also been added to the DSM-5. Specific criteria regarding usually amount of weight lost or frequency of certain behaviors or whatever. But disordered eating doesn't have a DSM-5 criteria, and I believe disordered eating falls on a spectrum. And that spectrum can range all the way from you know, having a great, awesome relationship with food in your body to, you know, all the way down to an eating disorder. But having disordered eating that doesn't fit into a traditional eating disorder diagnostic criteria doesn't mean that those struggles aren't valid. And it doesn't mean that someone struggling with disordered eating isn't deserving of help because they're not sick enough. Obviously, we would love to catch more people in the disordered eating phase and help them to heal that relationship with food in their body before it becomes a full-blown eating disorder. You know, obviously prevention is a huge key here, 
my own experience with disordered eating is why I'm so passionate about working with teens and young adults and doing the nutrition education and creating those resources and answering the questions and encouraging anyone who is struggling to seek help because it was definitely a part of my story that I didn't think I was doing anything that was all that problematic. I thought every high school senior was just as miserable as I was, honestly. And I didn't see that my depression and the destructive disordered eating behaviors that I was engaging in, I didn't see those as being worthy of or deserving of help or treatment. But they were. They so were. And if you're experiencing anything along those lines, you are deserving of treatment. You are deserving of help. You are deserving of support. You are deserving. The ongoing process of working through, you know, the lingering disordered eating you know, the intrusive thoughts or the behaviors that slip in if I'm not doing very well from a mental health standpoint. It's all very ongoing, but honestly, I've also found that there are things that are triggering for me. And some of those things involve, you know, hearing people around me talk about weight gain or weight loss or calorie counting. Or I do not find that knowing my body weight or being weighed is positive for me. You know, knowing my body weight and being weighed is a trigger for me. And so I go flat out out of my way to avoid scales. If I absolutely must be weighed for a medical purpose, which is very rare, I will, you know, tell them, I do not want to know my body weight. Do not tell it to me. You know, you can step on the scale backwards if you need to. Honestly, I've stopped following a lot of people on social media if they talk about things that end up triggering me for one way or another. I've also realized through a lot of reflection that a lot of the childhood friends that I had growing up also had problematic relationships with their body. And when I say problematic, I don't mean that it was anything they did wrong, but it was potentially destructive or negative beliefs or behaviors around food, around their relationship with their body, around exercise. That's what I mean by problematic. It wasn't anything that was their fault at all. But, you know, I had a friend growing up who had a parent who was constantly doing Weight Watchers. And so this friend kind of grew up talking about Weight Watchers and talking about healthy food and talking about being healthy in ways that fit the Weight Watchers paradigm, which I don't personally support or believe is a good idea. You know, I had another friend growing up who would kind of go through phases of, like, over-exercising and then not exercising at all and then exercising two or three hours a day for like weeks and weeks on end and you know this person's weight would really fluctuate and she would always get compliments when her weight was lower and I think her relationship with exercise and probably even her relationship with food was something that really wasn't great you know I had another friend growing up who was a student athlete and that person's body weight was constantly probably dangerously low. You know, this person really didn't get their period. This person was always fatigued, always injured, slow to heal from injury. Like, this person had a lot of health issues probably related to their obsession with being a student athlete and their tendency to overtrain and undereat. And I don't say any of these things. If any of these people who know me are watching this episode and see themselves in those descriptions and I'm not saying that anything you did at the time was wrong because that's who you are, that's your experience, but, you know, having friends with those kind of relationships with their bodies and food and exercise also was probably very negative and triggering for me, 
even though I didn't have the language for it or the self-awareness to realize it at the time. I think something I also do to work towards that positivity to work through disordered eating for me even now is intentionally choosing to use positive language around bodies and intentionally choosing to use neutral language around body changes. You guys have heard me say before, you know, things like, you know, weight change and body change that come with lifestyle change is normal and natural. That is true. And that is something that the more I say and the more I teach and the more I incorporate into the messages that I want to send on Feed That Nation and as a future dietitian, the more that I'm able to personally internalize and truly believe that that is something that also applies to my body. You know, all dietitians, all nutrition professionals, really all everyone, but especially people who work in healthcare regarding these topics, I believe that we all have work to do on ourselves and that it is necessary that we do this work on ourselves because, you know, having a history of disordered eating doesn't mean I can't be a good dietitian, but I need to be working through and aware of the areas of my brain that are still stuck in the disordered eating, that are still having a hard time believing that thin does not equal happy because, you know, my experience is going to shape how I speak to my clients. And on a really deep level, if I don't believe that people can be healthy at every size, then how on earth can I speak to clients who have bodies in every size? And this is an ongoing process. And that's something that, you know, I have to really work on my language around. You know, I've completely removed the term, you know, I feel fat today from my vocabulary because you can't feel fat. And there's a negative implication with that statement that being fat is bad. And being fat is not bad. Even in my brain, if I ever catch myself thinking, you know, I feel fat today, I have to quickly catch myself and go, no, I don't feel fat. What am I feeling? And I might be feeling insecure about my body. I might be feeling like I haven't been doing enough, you know, physical activity because I tried to do a tough workout and I wasn't able to complete the workout. You know, I might have had a lot of fiber yesterday and I'm feeling really bloated and uncomfortable. And those are all feelings that are completely divorced from being fat. And I'm really lucky in grad school now to have a really great group of classmates who, you know, when we catch ourselves, you know, saying that, you know, we're not feeling great about our bodies or we feel like we've, you know, had a lot of body changes, you know, we kind of call each other out and we say that, you know, it's okay if your body has changed because your lifestyle has changed or, you know, it's okay if you've been emotional eating lately because you've been emotional. Honestly, I, I know I talk about how much I love my cohort all the time, but specifically that aspect of our relationship has been so positive for me. It has been incredibly positive for me. Also, definitely just trying to look at the bright side to, you know, experiencing body changes that younger Natalie would have been terrified and horrified of you know, I've gained weight during the last year because my lifestyle has changed significantly. And that's not a bad thing. My boobs are bigger now, which is kind of cool. You know, I bought a new pair of jeans in a bigger size and they look amazing on me. And, you know, things like that. And just finding the positives and catching myself when I think about and go down towards those negative spirals and doing the work on myself. Because it would be very easy. It's a lot easier to fall back into the thin equals happy. And it's a lot easier to fall back into the destructive behavior than it is to constantly fight it and combat it. 
in, I guess, lieu of a food follow fun this week, I just want to say that I am leaving a ton of really amazing resources down below. If you are somebody who is struggling with disordered eating or disordered exercise, if you're somebody who's struggling with your mental health, I want you to seek help. I want you to get the help that you deserve. You deserve help. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to have a neutral or even a positive relationship with food in your body. You deserve to be surrounded by people who support you and uplift you. I also do want to say that if you are in crisis, if you are realizing that you are in danger of hurting yourself or somebody else, or if you know a friend who is in immediate danger, call 911, access your local emergency medical services. That is an emergency and it should be treated like an emergency. It's weird to say I hope you enjoyed this episode because I don't know that this episode is necessarily one that should be enjoyed, but I hope that if you watched this episode and you are struggling with disordered eating or you know somebody who is, I hope that you learned something. I hope that me being me, sharing my story, sharing my experience helps you to be you in some way. That's honestly one of my biggest goals here on Feed That Nation is to be authentic and be myself so that other people can be authentic and be themselves. I would love to hear from you regarding this episode, regarding this topic. If there's anything else that you'd like me to talk about, um, reach out, let me know, leave me a comment down below, leave me a review, DM me on Instagram, whatever it is. Definitely, I really want to hear from you. Until next time, my name is Natalie Nation, you're listening to Feed That Nation, and I'll see you soon.